Vineyard's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Wow. Memorial Day weekend came and went. Yeah. <laughs> We're recording Friar, so and it's I, fine. Yeah. And I lied to all you people. I said on the last podcast it was going to be nice weather, and it actually rained the whole weekend. Ugh. Such a bummer. Ugh. Is, it actually supposed to, is it actually supposed to? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. I know. I've been looking at the forecast like, oh, well, okay. We'll just no do No more outdoor stuff. activities. No more outdoor activities. I don't know. We'll put the kids in in raincoats and just do it because I, I cannot spend three and a half days straight locked indoors with my children. I already had to do just. enough of that the last couple of years. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I know. True. Uh, so what have you been drinking, Zach? Oh, what have I been drinking? Um, You know, that's a good question and I will have more exciting answers probably after I actually go on this trip. Um, But this week has been kind of light on drinking with the exception of one cocktail that uh, I made up with at the behest of my wife, as is often the impetus for my cocktail creations these days. Um, and she was telling, she was like, you know, I want, we have these, um these two bottles of Amaro that came from a local producer uh, here in Seattle. I think I've talked about before uh, fast penny spirits and she wanted something with their um, Bianca Amaro. Um, so like a white Amaro of sorts. And, I decided I was going to make like a white Negroni riff, but I decided that I was going to do something a little bit different. Um, so, you know, normally you would use, um, you know, gin, uh, some kind of herbal liqueur, and then, Suze. yeah, Suze most typically, but there are others that kind of fit the general category. And then like, a, again, kind of like a lighter style vermouth, essentially like a white vermouth of some kind. And I sort of was like, well, I have this, I have this fascination with dry curacao like i think it's a really underutilized ingredient in a lot oh, of cocktails yeah. and so i decided to kind of do an equal parts uh gin dry curacao and this um sort of I, you know they call it amaro bianca but it's really more in the category of like a yeah like a suze or something like that like a light colored herbal liqueur uh it was really good i was really pleased with it um it's definitely like the orangey note from the curacao comes through but it's the pierre ferrand so it's very dry in general and so it doesn't kind of get cloyingly sweet uh, I used, as discussed on the podcast recently, one of my favorite gins, Roku, um, to kind of, because yes. I wanted something that was also on that sort of citrus profile and um, very kind of uh, aromatic. And yeah, turned out really nicely. So it's my my big uh, creation for the week. How about you, Joanna? Yeah, for, I love your cocktail escapades, Zach. I love hearing <laughs> about them. They're so fun. I love hearing about yours. It's a, it's a fun uh, thing that we share. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I didn't make anything for myself this weekend, but we did go to a new neighborhood restaurant called Pasta Louise in Park Slope. Um, I was inspired to go there by a recent piece that we published um, from Aaron Goldfarb. And I had their house gimlet, which is I think it's called Grandma's Gimlet. Mm. And it was awesome. It had uh, lime juice and grapefruit in it. And it, it has a fennel liqueur in it as well. Mm which was such a nice touch. Um, I, I don't order gimlets often. I feel like I should. But this one was really, really great. And I also had a, a mezcal like highball of sorts that was on their menu. Cool. It was good. I, I think I'm just not a mezcal person. Oh. I've decided. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I, it is kind of one of these things that I feel like is a little bit, you know, polarizing. Yeah. And... I would like to get into Mezcal. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see once once this Mezcal list publishes if I give some of those a try and I can be convinced. But a lot of the ones I've had, you know, for me are just all smoke. Yeah. I was uh, having a conversation. I, I think somebody came through the office recently and he's um, 
making his own mezcal. And he was like, I think a lot of people associate mezcal with smoke, mm-hmm. or that's how they know mezcal. But it doesn't have to be that way, actually. Yeah. And I didn't know that myself. So I, I would like to try some that aren't like just smoke bombs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I'm willing to try it and like order the drinks, um, but it's just not my favorite right now. Yeah. Well, and I think I want to add one real point on here too, which is I think if you're looking at mezcal as a cocktail ingredient, I think more often than not, you're going to have, someone's going to reach for something that is on the smokier side because that's one of the notes that they want to include in the cocktail. They're doing it, sure. you know, because it's like, you know, it's basically that or like a, you know, a peated scotch or something like that. If you want to kind of add that smoky note through a spirit. And if you're looking for something to sip, I would say like there, are, there is really a huge wealth of, of mezcals that are not particularly smoky and in fact you know carry forward lots of other flavors and so you know it's it, it like like to some extent with all spirits but i think uh, especially something like mezcal where there's so much variety within the category what someone might choose to put in a cocktail versus what you might choose to have need or even you know on the rocks or something like that is going to be i think really pretty different yeah sure especially now with the ones that are available yeah. on the market yeah adam well i didn't have a lot of drinks this week because i had the flu that I just sorry to hear that. It's the I honestly thought it was worse than when I had COVID. It's like just not fun, like at all. Uh, but last weekend, prior to getting the flu, uh, I first had um, went to the bar in Brooklyn that some are really obsessed with called Grand Army. Yes, uh, and good bar. It's it was so it was my second time going. I thought it was really great. Um, and they have a Spice Girls themed cocktail menu right now, okay. which is pretty funny. They like to do themes there. Okay. Uh, and so I had two cocktails that I thought were quite delicious. Uh, one was Little Gucci Dress. Nice. Which is their sort of, their version of a sessionable martini. Okay. You know, Mr. McCurdy will have to be the judge. I did have their dry martini as well, like their, their traditional martini though. And I will tell. Is that posh know, spice? No, it's just, it was its own thing. We... Okay. You know, we were all like, oh, let's have martinis at the end after we'd already had two cocktails. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, they were like, would you like to specify a gin? And I said Ford's. And I'm like, oh, that's our, that's our well gin. That's our well gin. And I was nice. like, oh, well, aren't I in the know? Uh, but that was that Is was it good. a 50-50 that it's sessionable? So it's gin, dry vermouth, mango, brandy, and Cochi Rosa. Is Very, that a martini? In name. That's what they said. It was. It was. There was their martini riff. Okay. And then I also had Spice Force Five, nice. which was bourbon, aged rum, almond, tolado, sherry, and salted corn. Basically, an old fashioned. But they corn. they really recommended it. I was really trying to get the zig zig ah, but you know, <laughs> just you know. And then that's all you wanted uh, to do, perhaps. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Uh, that was good, Zach. Uh, and then look, look, he knows the Spice Girls. Know the he knows the Spice Girls. Let's be very clear on point. <laughs> uh, there was, yeah, it, it was a fun menu though. I was, I was, I loved the creativity. I, so I love when places yeah. do that. Yeah. And then um, over the weekend, I made my first mocktails mm. in a while because apparently I went to go visit my uh, niece and nephew, and when I walked in the door, my niece said to my nephew, "My niece is six, and my nephew is three. Uncle Adam is famous for his cocktails. <laughs> and uh, and then she asked me if I could make her a mocktail because I took her on date night when she Aww. when she came to visit recently and I got her a mocktail. Mm-hmm. So I made her a mocktail, which literally is just lemonade. <laughs> I literally squeezed some citrus, added some agave, put it in a in a uh, Nick and Nora glass, and she's like, This is the best drink I've ever had. That's amazing. The 
the uh, the the little boy not as into it. No, uh, I have to share. I did something actually very similar with my son. So he was, I was making his lunch the other day and he was getting grumpy about taking grape juice, which I don't know why he loves grape juice. And I was <laughs> like, well, what if I make you a drink? And he was like, cause he obviously sees me make drinks for Caitlin yeah. and occasionally for other people to come over. And he's like, Oh, okay. So like, all I did was add like a little bit of a little bit of grenadine, not the horrific, uh, like neon from our dirty shirt. Not, yeah. not, from, <laughs> not from our dirty Shirley episode, but the stuff I'd actually made from pomegranates a while back and some oleosaccharum, uh, and like shook it up and he was just like obsessed and he was like yeah he drank and he was like this is the best juice and i was like okay Aww. sure yep exactly um, so yeah kids kids uh turns out easily impressed yes <laughs> yeah i am you know i'm not the best so it was great you yeah, but your, your niece mocktails. doesn't know yeah, that so that. you're all you're in the clear for a few more years i gotta i got i need like some more oh i added some sparkling water too so mm. it was like bubbly and she was real into it yeah, it's just a virgin <laughs> press you're good yeah, exactly. Um, so, so speaking of cocktails, I also this week went to a restaurant when I'd gotten back to New York um, with some friends, like a neighborhood restaurant that had a very serious cocktail list. And so, what I want to talk about is it seems like there's a lot of neighborhood restaurants recently. We just wrote a piece, ran a piece on it that Aaron Goldfarb wrote for us uh, about how we're seeing a lot more neighborhood restaurants bring in sure. well-known bartenders or sort of higher bars. Right? It'll be like this bar menu brought to you by death and company um, to do cocktails for them. But in my opinion, the cocktails never go all the way. Mm -hmm. Like they're never, they're often not in sort of like the most appropriate glassware. Sometimes the ice is not the ideal ice yet. They're charging the same prices as bars, Mm -hmm. right? As, as well-known cocktail bars, Nice cocktail bars, places where that's what they specialize in. Um, and so curious what you guys think of this trend and if you think that the majority of consumers care, happy to pay this price, or are judging those cocktails against the cocktails they're getting when they're going to cocktail bars. Yeah, I I think this is a good trend. Mm-hmm. I like this trend. And I think it's because diners aren't necessarily looking for – like I think it's like a nice surprise if you go to a restaurant that you don't think will – necessarily have a great cocktail yeah. program and then it happens to have great cocktails um i don't think people are comparing them to going to a cocktail bar so then do you have to do you think we have to suspend like all the things we've been taught in the past like by the, the publications such as ours have written things like you can judge a cocktail program based on its ice <laughs> right there, there, there's there's a well-known senior staff writer at Vine Pair who has may, may or may not have written that article, you know, about how cold draft ice is a, one way to tell a bar takes their cocktail seriously. Like, does that just not matter then at a restaurant? I want to. Yeah, I don't. No, you yeah. go ahead, Joanna, and then I will weigh yeah. in here. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it matters. I think if you unless you're going to that restaurant knowing that you're going to have like a cocktail or whatever, I think that the expectations and the bar for those types of details should be lower. That's what I think. Mm. I think that, yes, they shouldn't have like shit ice or like, you know, serve it to you in a plastic cup or something. But I do think that like, I think it should have like decent ice. It doesn't have to have like a full like ice program or cold draft ice or whatever. But I do think that, um, yeah, I think the expectation should be lower. It should be nice that they have good cocktails at a restaurant where you're going to eat versus going to a cocktail bar where you have really high expectations for those things. Because that's what the cocktail bar does, right? The restaurant does all these other things. The cocktail program is only a part of the restaurant's business model. Okay. 
And then for a cocktail bar, it's like if it doesn't have good ice or a good ice program, then like what are we doing here? Okay. Yeah. So I disagree with the senior staff writer in question, I guess, <laughs> I suppose. His name is Tim McCurdy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what I would say is like – so Adam always likes to use analogies that I don't understand. So I'm going to use an analogy that I hope you Please. guys do understand. <laughs> so I think of this kind of thing as like um, creating a character in a video game. And if you're creating a character – I don't it's like, understand this. I don't really know. play video games. <laughs> whether you're creating a character in like an RPG and you're assigning stats or you're doing it in like a sports game where you're creating a player or whatever, you are given sort of a pool of points to put towards various attributes. And you can't right. just make the, pers- the character, the player, great at everything. And opening any kind of establishment is a little bit the same in my understanding. You can't just make – your bar have all the best ingredients, the most talented staff, you know, the perfect ice, glassware, et cetera, and also be a neighborhood joint and also have, um, you know, accessible prices and stuff like that. And I think about this sometimes even in the realm of bars more specifically where you think about like something like a dive bar, right? Like a dive bar excels at being, you know, usually fast service, less expensive drinks and a really high-end cocktail bar can be the opposite end of the spectrum, right? It can take you 20 minutes to get a cocktail. It's going to hopefully be really, really amazing, presented to you in the optimal fashion. But you can't be going in there expecting to be in an environment with, with four, you know, 100 other people having a fun time and getting drinks quickly. Like, that's just not the kind of vibe in those places. And we don't think of either one of those as being like, you are a bad bar. You're just setting out to accomplish something different. And I think the thing that these restaurants that we're talking about what they are attempting to accomplish, and I think in some cases do accomplish, is giving people like, say, me, who has two kids and would like to go out to dinner sometimes, but is also cognizant of the fact that, like, there there are establishments that are just off limits to my kids, both, like, literally, legally, they can't go into certain bars and, you know, kind of places that are for people who are 21 and up, and also lots of places that, frankly, for the consideration of the patrons around me, I wouldn't bring them to because, like, they're going to ruin someone else's evening, even if they're relatively well-behaved. Like, when I was... Before I had kids, there were places I want to go to not be around kids. And even as an adult with kids, sometimes there are places I want to go to not be around kids, to be fair, too. And I think that what what is probably happening in a lot of these uh, instances on a sort of on an understandable basis is the most of the cost that goes into a drink is the are the raw ingredients and the labor. And yes, the the, you know, expensive ice cubes are going to add to the cost of a drink fancy glassware or special glassware will also bump up the cost of the drink. Um, but but generally speaking, if you were to price out using kind of the standard pricing models that most uh, establishments use, the difference between the same cocktail and a really high-end cocktail bar and the same cocktail in a neighborhood restaurant is going to be a dollar, maybe two, um, to account for those things. And so you are, if you're getting the same ingredients and they're assembled correctly, I don't think it's the case that, oh, it's not being made or served with cold draft ice. Therefore, I should pay half price. Not that that's what you're saying, Adam. I want to be clear. But really, the, the price difference is actually pretty negligible because a lot of those costs are are going to be in both drinks. So then to, to take this question a little bit further, fine. I, I, I understand what you're both saying. But then why are so many restaurants attaching these lists to well-known bartenders or to well-known bars, right? So like most recently when I was in Jackson Hole, I went to like a family restaurant like four or five years ago, right? And their menu was done by Death and Company, right? You have other uh, family restaurants now that we're reading about in Brooklyn that are having well-known bartenders who are doing their cocktail programs, but they're not behind the bar ever, right? They basically probably came in, they created the 
the uh, you know the bar program. They trained the staff. They left mm-hmm. like and especially because I think the the normal person going to those restaurants doesn't know those people or care. Like, why are we seeing their names on the menus? Why is that part of the press push? Like, does it even matter? Like, as long as you know you can get a good cocktail, like, do why are we attaching all these other people to? the list that's my that's my question i think that they think it does matter and i do think that especially in the last few years people care more about this stuff and to see a cocktail menu at a restaurant you can be like oh like my death and co i know that place like these are going to be really good cocktails well do you think so i guess then to piggyback on that question as you're answering do you think that that is when then what allows for the allows them to apologize for the things that you might not find that you would have initially judged it for. Like, okay, so it's just a cocktail list. There's no name attached to it. And then you get the cocktail and it's, you know, glass that you wouldn't normally expect it in. And it's with ice you wouldn't normally expect. Mm -hmm. But now at least if you see death and company, like, okay, well, it's still going to be a good drink. Hmm. I I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like, I I feel like I know what your answer would be if you were that, if you were that diner. I think you'd be, but I think regular people who aren't like tapped into the drinks world yeah. in the way that we are, probably not. I think right. that they would say, this is fine. Yeah. But also because I do think that, uh, again, the expectation of the drinks at a restaurant are different than if you go to a, a cocktail bar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I don't ha- I never have the same expectation to get the, the same quality cocktail at a restaurant that I do at a bar, unless... But again, unless, unless. The, the the restaurant is trying to yeah. say that it wants to be known for its cocktail program, that that's where then I'm like, okay, well, if you want to be known for your cocktail program, then I would expect really high quality cocktails, right? If you have a cocktail program that you you're entering your bartenders and bartender competitions and things like that, then like, but usually those restaurants then do go above and beyond with yeah. the super clear ice and things like that, right. like. You know, Crown Shy is a perfect example of that. Like, they take their cocktail program really seriously. They obviously have overstory. overstory. But, like, Crown Shy's cocktails have always been very good. Very good. And everything about those cocktails is done the way you would expect at a very high-end cocktail bar. Yeah, there's yeah, no— I guess the- I guess the other part of this that feels a little different is that at Crown Shy, there's a very vibrant bar scene alone. You're right. Versus just like going there for the restaurant. Like you're going to Crown Chai and you know that you can go sit at the bar and have cocktails right. there because their cocktail program is amazing. Right. Versus some of these places, I guess, that we're talking about right now, they are like the neighborhood restaurant and not necessarily known to be a bar. Right. Well, and how much of this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, which is like just a general in, increased interest in cocktails and spirits yep. among I was gonna yeah. mention the, that too. the appropriate yep. demographic. People you know, in, in the kind of spaces where people might have expected to go out to dinner, whether, you know, whether with family or not, and have, you know, a bottle of wine or, you know, a glass of wine or two or a beer or something. Now more and more people want cocktails. And so it would be frankly pretty silly of these places not to offer cocktails. And if one yep. of the ways to do that is to say, hey, we don't necessarily have someone in our restaurant group or, or the, you know, the just the people who have opened the restaurant who's a cocktail expert, but we can go out and, you know, pay a certain amount of money to have a consultant come in or, a, or an existing bar come in and consult. Not only, you know, if we're going to pay for that, we might as well get this sort of uh, you know, the the shine that comes along with that and put their name True. on our list, you know, again, it's going to make people maybe more inclined to go to that place in the that restaurant in the first place. If you're deciding and you're a cocktail, you like cocktails, or, but you're going out for a dinner with, uh, you know, with people who don't want to go to a cocktail bar or, you know, you just it's not the kind of evening you're out for. 
then the place that has the, you know, the sort of um, the the badge of authenticity of uh, an established cocktail creator of one form or another attached to it, like you're going to opt for that place. Generally, you might be more willing to, to, you know, to get a second drink or something, you know, that's talked about in Aaron's piece a lot is that one of the reasons that places are doing this too, is like, obviously it's a huge return on investment, right? You know, if right. you, if you stay get that, a little longer, yeah, stay a little longer, get someone to order a second drink, like, you know, co- as we talked about on the podcast too, like this is the profitable section of a restaurant. And so, you know, if you can drive more revenue towards your beverage program, cocktails or otherwise, you're going to be better off financially. Like you're not going to, you can't usually sell someone a second entree the way you can a second drink. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is exactly what happened to me this past weekend. We went to this place, Pasta Louise. Their menu is literally just like pasta and salads. And I think any other place like that, I would probably just get a glass of wine with dinner or wine probably, but they have this cocktail menu. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have these cocktails. Well, I obviously knew about it from this piece, but also they were really appealing and really thoughtful. And I was like, oh, I'll opt for a cocktail in this instance instead of getting a glass of wine. And that's the conversation we had about the by the by the glass list um, at restaurants yeah. and people opting for cocktails instead. Yeah. Yeah. I have Look, a question think... for you, Adam, that I want yeah, to ask in this, in this vein. So a thing that's always been interesting to me is is when we look at sort of the cocktail programs in restaurants and any you know, maybe specifically these kind of neighborhood type spots that uh, we've been talking about, but but maybe even something that's not maybe you know not really like su- a super high end restaurant. And, and Joanna, obviously, I want your opinion on this too. I just was thinking about it because Adam kind of raised it before. Do you think it would be? Would you prefer it in that situation to maybe have like? here's our cocktail list, but our cocktail list is kind of like, here are eight, I don't know, classics, right? Essentially. And maybe we have our, a little take on them or whatever. Cause, cause versus what seems to be described in some of these that are in Aaron's piece. And that I think I, we've, we've seen out and about of like, I'm not, what I am not sure about is if in some of these cases, I really trust a, a restaurant, especially kind of this kind of place to get an elaborate original creation, right? Like I would be dubious in some sense, like I'd be thrilled and very happy to order like, uh, one of these places takes on a Negroni or a Manhattan or, a, you know, even a, a slightly more uh, esoteric cocktail, like a paper plane or something. But I don't know that I want some totally original creation because, frankly, I've tried a lot of those in places and they don't generally land super well. And whether or not you have the name of a famous bartender or or bar attached to them, in the end, so much of the execution of those drinks comes down to whoever's making them. And especially if that person is kind of removed from whatever original training was done, where I do where you do lose me a little bit is not the ice or the glassware, but just my concern that the drink itself will be poorly executed or just not balanced in the way that I want a cocktail to be. And that's where I think like sometimes a, something less ambitious might serve these restaurants better. So so basically, like, do do I feel like I would rather be classic cocktails? Well, like, do you, if you go into a place and see one of these kinds of places and you see a drink with you know, you might know the ingredients, but it's like it's a formulation that you are totally unfamiliar with, and it's like, oh, our you know our just original creation. I am generally skeptical of those in places that are not like really good cocktail bars, just in general, yeah. because like in the end, I don't really, I, it's, I I've been unfortunately, you know, party to some of the creation of some of these drinks and or seen them created in restaurants I've worked in and stuff, and been like, you know, like two people try it, and they're like, yeah, this seems fine, and they don't really like. You know, you, we, it's like we, we, we think about cocktail creation as this like incredibly elaborate process. And in some places it is. But in a lot of places, it's like some bartender has a wild hair and they make a drink and like 
it just kind of goes on the menu and then it's kind of like you know is everyone executing it correctly i don't know i just those aren't the places where i'd want to try originals is that where you think like having death and co on the menu then would give you more faith to try something like that it would with some drinks. I think anything that looked like it involved a lot of precision or technique, I would be still kind of dubious of. And again, maybe these places are intentionally avoiding that kind of cocktail. Again, I don't think I'd want a Ramos Gin Fizz in one of these bars, even if I, even if it said, you know, Death & Co. on it. Well, that's why I think it's interesting. It's an interesting question because for me, like I think if I see classic cocktails on your cocktail list – like, I assume you know how to make those cocktails, right? So, like, if I see Negroni, Gin Martini, Manhattan, and I'm hoping it's going to be pretty good. If I get burned, I'm going to be a little upset, but, like... Do you try it first? But I would I would order it. Mm-hmm. But what I think is so interesting about Aaron's piece is, like, that's what I'm questioning, is, like, he's saying there's no good... There was no good cocktails in his neighborhood, right? But for him, a cocktail writer... Like, I wonder for how many people were the cocktails just fine in Park Slope because there's a lot of restaurants that do classic cocktails and probably do a gin martini well enough for the majority of people, especially parents who are going out to have and want a cocktail while their kids are running around and they're trying to slam pasta in their face at 6 p.m., you know, on a Sunday. Like, I think that's where I'm, I'm a little like curious as to who gives a shit about like the family restaurant doing even more elaborate cocktails. I think the majority of people don't care. Like if you want a cocktail, make a good martini, make a good Negroni. That's all that matters. I, the bar is low. The bar is low. The bar is very low. That's why I think the ice doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. We're we're all getting to the same point. We all agree. We all agree. Right. It's, (laughs) it doesn't, you know, I think where I care about, the the cocktail being amazing is at these places that are trying to be not family restaurants but more like that mid high end yeah. right so it's like it's the you know we're not trying to be Michelin star but like we'd like to get one and now this is for the New Yorkers like the, a one or two star in the New York Times maybe one star right and we're gonna charge you eighteen and twenty bucks a cocktail and like you're you're definitely gonna you know pay twenty five to thirty dollars an entree. Like that's where I think I'm I'm interested in if this works, right. right? But the family restaurant, I just don't think it matters. It's different, yes. I think in the high-end restaurant that you're talking, the former example, they're trying to do it all. Yeah. Right? But, but to your right. Crown, earlier Crown point. Crown Shy wants two Michelin stars, right? They're, they're trying to be a Michelin-starred restaurant. But in like that mid-low high of like, like the, I don't know, the neighborhood bistro maybe or something. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. The Union Square Cafe, but Union Square Cafe is even way too high end. But it's that kind of restaurant in every neighborhood. Walters would be a good example in my neighborhood, right? It's not a, it's not a family restaurant. Walters is trying to be a little bit nicer than that. Then maybe they'd want the Death & Company on their menu. Right. Have you have you experienced any of these places in your neighborhood, Zach? Yeah. And it's funny. I was thinking about this because I was thinking about like how often when Caitlin and I go out to eat with the kids do we – do we get cocktails? Because, you know, we often get wine. Um, but then I was thinking like the last time we went out, which was for our anniversary, but we, uh, I'm sorry, for Mother's Day rather, uh, but we took our kids because, um, you know, we take our kids most places. And uh, we went to a place called Flint Creek, which is in our general neighborhood, but isn't, is you know, I, obviously there's, there's a, you know, the Michelin folks don't review restaurants in Seattle. So uh, irrelevant what their aspirations are in that regard, but certainly like aspiring to be uh, a, a higher end restaurant for kind of being in a neighborhood. And we each did get a cocktail to start out and they were 
um, you know, original ish creations. Um, and they were, they were good. I, they don't have like a super, like, I don't think there's a ton of people who go in there just to hang out at the bar. The bar's kind of like in the middle of the restaurant, which is kind of another, sometime we'll talk about like <laughs> just design on these things. And like, I, I think a bar that's in the middle of the restaurant is never going to be quite the same as like a bar that feel, you feel like, you know, you kind of walk into right away. Uh, in any case, um, so, you know, yes, there I, I have a I would have a definite higher level of expectation than for what the kind of family restaurants we go to. Like there's a pizza place that we go to. And that's obviously like I, I sometimes get a Negroni there because they do a reasonable job with it. But my expectations are like much lower for sure. And so I think that like where what we're getting at, and I think this is a really interesting thing. And I would love to hear from uh, listeners about this uh, podcast at VinePair.com. Is there to me feels like a very hard to define line where. And I don't know if it's a price line or if it's a vibe line or what, but like when you go across it, I'm like, okay, now my expectations are high for this cocktail. And if you don't make it right, you don't put it in the right glassware, you don't use the right ice, et cetera. um, Now we got a problem. Like not, I'm going to, not that I'm going to like start shit, but just like you have, I think failed me as a, as a patron. And on the other side of that line, I'm more like, eh, as long as it tastes reasonably good, I don't really care what you serve it to me. in. I don't really care what ice you use, but like, if it's bad, if it's like totally incorrectly made, I'll send it back. But like, I don't know that I could on the spot define what that bar is for something that's not a cocktail bar. Obviously, like a straight up cocktail bar, that is my expectation. And if you don't meet it, then like that's a problem. But for a, a restaurant, a place that's aspiring to, you know, be a, a full on full service restaurant, I don't know that I could put a, you know, kind of a specific definition to where, where those, where that starts. Yeah. I mean, I just think like there's like, there's this pizzeria. Like a pizza restaurant that's that's trying to be family but also nice near me, that like they they make a a good Negroni and like they serve it with like well ice and I don't give a shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's it's like a Negroni that I want at the time and I don't really like my bar is not that high at that point because also the pizzas are like sixteen to eighteen dollars a pie. Yeah, right. You know, and like I just don't. I, that's where I'm sort of like, so wh- why would a place like that try to go super high and they they wouldn't. Because then they're competing with what they are, which is a family-friendly restaurant that's also an affordable family-friendly restaurant. Also, these families that I think can go out to these ex- insanely expensive meals, I would like to know what they do for a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, very interesting. We would love to hear your thoughts as well. Hit us up at uh, podcast at vinepair.com. We've been getting amazing emails over yes. the last few weeks from listeners about the topics we've covered recently. We'd love to hear from more of you. So uh, let us know and... Joanna and Zach, I'll talk to you on Friday. Talk to you Friday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.